Well, this is the first Sunday of uh, a three-sermon series on technology, and it's called Living in the Digital Age, and um, this is part one. And um, throughout the summer, we were talking and exploring about God's original purpose for the world from creation, and how Jesus restores us to that image, the image-bearing that we were created to do and to cause the world we said God's purpose for the world is for the world to flourish. God's original intention for the world was not to judge it, but to cause it to flourish. God wanted to bless the world. And so God creates us as his image bearers to serve in that purpose. It's God's representatives to all of creation to cause the world to flourish. And, um, and God wants us to bless the world. And so God blesses the world through human beings. And part of the way that happens is through technology. Technology, then we should see as a blessing. In fact, um, I would say each and every one of you here this morning, um, I don't have to convince of that. You already think technology is a good thing. Technology is a neat thing. I remember when household computers became um, a regular thing, my brother was the first one in our family in the early 90s. Well, if you're, if you're kind of a computer geek, you were doing that in the 70s and 80s. But, um, my, brother was, well, my brother was the computer geek of the family, and, and he, uh, he was the first one to get a computer. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. He would go to computer shows. And when we think about technology, some of us might think, well, technology isn't good or, or bad. Technology is neutral. But I don't think as Christians we want to say that anything is neutral. We recognize that all things, including things that, that seem maybe neutral like technology, can be used for good and they can be used for bad. So we don't want to take a neutral stand in technology, but sometimes it takes time to appreciate the impact of innovation and invention. Maybe you've heard the story of the the Zen master in the Chinese village. 14-year-old boy was given a horse on his birthday, and the people in the town said, isn't that wonderful? And the Zen master said, we'll see. And he fell off the horse and broke both of his legs. And the village said, isn't that terrible? And he broke both of his legs. And the Zen master said, we'll see. And then all the young men went off to war, and the young man didn't have to go off to war because he had two broken legs. And everybody in the village said, isn't it great that he broke his legs? And the Zen master said, we'll see. Well, technology's been like that for the last 20 years. It's taken time for us to be able to appreciate its impact on us individually and as a culture. We've had to wait and see. But what's starting to happen right now is psychologists and people who care about these things are starting to recognize ways in which technology has changed us importantly. Technology is changing us, some in good ways, and in some ways, not so good. So technology is good, and it can be bad. And we know the ways that technology is good. And I'll just kind of do a recap on how technology is good. Um, with the push of a button, we have access to the world's cumulative knowledge and the wonders of the world. Last night I went to bed, I was having trouble sleeping, and I got on YouTube and typed in, you know, what's the, what's the um, deepest hole ever dug? 
it's just the kind of cool things you can do with technology, you know? I, I must have seen it somewhere and it kind of like made a deposit in my mind. It was, you know, it was, it was about drills and how, how, how deep we can dig. And technology increases the amount of things we can do. It increases our productivity. We can print out stamps at home with our printer. Someone is saying, you can do that. Yes, you can do that. You can pay bills online. You can order almost anything from Amazon and have it at your door in a couple days. And it's like Christmas year-round. And everybody loves, you know, did my package arrive? You're checking your phone to make sure your package arrived. And here's what I love. I love the no-wait app. Do you know about this? Oh, it's great. It's fantastic, you know? You download the app, you type your name in, and you show up to this, you know, busy breakfast joint. You know, what's, what's the place we go? The, the, the pancake place on Ladue? Whatever it's called. I'm still new to the area. It's the famous pancake place. But it's really busy, and you type your name in on the No Aid app, and you walk in a, a, you know, a few minutes, and, you're, and you're able to get seated. And Wikipedia, God bless Wikipedia. Every college student owes an eternal debt to Wikipedia. Um, and in 25 years, my wife and I of, of marriage, we've never owned an actual set of kitchen knives. You know, the, that, that block where you put all your knives in, and we went to Bed Bath & Beyond, and we were about to buy it, and she said, look it up on So she looks it up, she goes, oh, it's cheaper. And we go, thanks, and then we walk in. And who doesn't love doing that, right? You're able to look things up quickly online. And the list goes on and on. There's no shortage of ways that we feel we don't even have to be convinced of the blessings and advantages of technology. Technology makes things easy and efficient, and we love it because of that. But technology also has some drawbacks to it. And it can also deceive us. And so this morning, I want to talk about some ways that technology does that, the ways technology can deceive us. And it happens primarily in three ways. It makes us think we're learning when we're not. Technology makes us think we're being creative when we're not. And technology makes us think we're resting when we're not. So part one of our series is learning, creating, and resting. And so the first is it can make us think we're learning when we're not. Now this is seen most clearly in the difference between tools versus devices. Now I would venture to say Everyone in here above 18 probably has a device and it's probably on you. It's probably a learning curve. It took you time to learn to put it on airplane mode or silence it when you come into church. But you remember how it was for the first few years, you know, churches had to have things that said, like, please silence your phones now. But our culture has shifted from using tools to using devices. And so for centuries, for thousands of years, we used tools. And you had to learn how to use a tool. And tools required skill. And tools also had and involved a certain amount of risk. And so to use a tool, you had to learn and study. And it took practice and hard work. And you had to understand how it was used. And once you were able to use it, it kind of set you apart from people who couldn't use it. But there was learning involved. There was hard work involved. There was skill involved and some risks, but devices are not that way. There really isn't much of a learning curve to use a device. Almost anybody can turn a device on and it just walks you through the steps. 
I mean, you can, you can use a device the moment you turn it on. So tools help us in that learning process, but devices not so much. There's zero risk and very little skill, and the learning factor is negligible. Um, and why does this matter? Well, it matters because bearing the divine image, the image God has created us with, is about causing our culture to flourish through learning. God wants us to be learners. Even when God created Adam perfect, Adam didn't know all things. And so devices require very little learning to use. And we're happy to use them. But the knowledge we have um, and are given access to um, isn't acquired really through personal learning. It's instantaneous. You can push a button. Now, the Bible cares about us learning. Proverbs 18 and 15, it says, An intelligent heart acquires knowledge. It doesn't say an intelligent heart has knowledge. It says it acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks learning. Have you ever seen those movies where there's a cyborg or an android or a robot, and the robot has all knowledge. It's just downloaded. Right? So part of his, his mainframe is he's made by his engineer. All of the world's information is sort of downloaded to his, his hard, you know, his hardwire. You know, he's hardwired to just know all of the world's facts. But he hasn't learned it. He knows it. It knows it. Saying he. I don't know what the robot is. It. The robot knows all this information, but it hasn't learned it. And although most movies don't say it, or books, what we're, what we're meant to walk away from is kind of this idea, subtly, that that's kind of what makes it not human. See, as we learn, as we acquire information, as we acquire knowledge through actual genuine learning, we're reflecting the glory of God because God has made us to do that. God wants us to master information and God wants us to share information we've mastered. If you have been on the job on a certain, a certain career for any amount of time, you've probably become good at what you do if you didn't, haven't gotten fired by now. And it means that you've kind of mastered some information. It took hard work to learn those things. So technology deceives us into think we're learning often when we're not because it gives us information that we often pay no price for. We use little, if any, of our cognitive skills, or problem-solving ability, or memory, or focus. In fact, one of the drawbacks of technology, digital technology, is that our memories are not as sharp as they used to be, just as a people. We don't memorize things like we used to. We don't have to. Most of us don't memorize people's phone numbers, let alone directions to far places. We can just GPS it. So some people would say, we know more, but, to put it bluntly, we're dumber for it. <clears throat> when I was preparing for my ordination exams, I um, consulted study guides. And the study guides are, are loose guides based on you know, all of biblical information and theology, so they don't give you the exact answers. But one of the things I found was, as I studied and prepared, the information that was already written out for me, it was hard for me to really memorize it. But the questions that I had to search the Bible for, 
and think through on my own, which took me time to find the answer, I never forgot. And those questions that showed up on my ordination exam, I aced. But the ones that the answer was given to me in a study guide, I didn't have to work for it, I just didn't know as well. God has made our brains to work that way. And it seems counterintuitive, well, wouldn't it be better if we could just automatically have the answers to life's questions, but in reality, We've been made to develop and acquire knowledge in such a way that, that through the hard work of acquisition of information, we know it better. And that glorifies God, because God has made us to operate that way. We flourish when we genuinely learn. And the knowledge we attain through discovery and through research and hard work is good for us. It's good for us. And it's good for those we come in contact with. Again, anything you've paid a price for, that you own, that you pay, that you paid a price for, you value. The things that come so easy to us, well, we just don't value those things as much. And this leads us to our second point, which is that technology makes us think we're being creative when we're not. And this is the difference between productivity and creativity, right? So we're fooled sometimes into think we're being creative when in reality we're just being productive. There's nothing wrong with being productive. It's good to be productive. Um, your supervisor certainly requires you to be productive. And we feel a sense of laziness and sluggardness when we're not productive. But productivity is different than creativity. And this is another way, a primary way that we bear the image of God is through our faculties of creativity. We're like God in that sense when we do things from originality, when we're truly creative. So technology is good for productivity, not so much for creativity. Now why is this important? Well, it's important because creativity is directly connected to joy. I love backpacking and wilderness camping. In fact, uh, I've gone with Ed, and if there's anyone else who wants to get in on the action, let's plan a trip soon, because I need a trip out into the woods. But one of the things I take with me is a stick. I've got all this fancy gear. It's expensive gear. And someone else created that gear, but I didn't. And it's, you know, waterproof and Gore-Tex technology and ripstop nylon and all these different things that I really enjoy. But if my house was burning down, I wouldn't grab any of those things. I'd grab this stick, a hiking stick that I made. I was out in the woods once and I found, you very rarely find in nature, straight sticks. And I found a branch off a pine tree at about six feet long. It was really straight and it had some, some, some smaller branches on it. And I took it home and I stripped the bark off and I cut off the small branches and I sanded it down and I polished it. And there were certain cracks and I filled it in with wood fillers. My first time I ever did it. And I finished it with walnut stain. And I cut the top off and I drilled something in the middle to put a lashing, and at the very bottom I, I put a, a nut and bolt for impact so that the wood wouldn't split when it hits the ground. And then I put marine varnish on it, and it's just, I love that stick, because I made it. It was the result of my creative skills and process, and I didn't know anything about making sticks, but I love that thing. Because when I see that thing that I made, something about the very nature of God is reflected back to me in that state. 
See, the things we create, I'm not talking about productivity. I'm thinking, talking about the things we genuinely create. Say something back to us about the way God has made us and the very presence and glory and nature of God in some small way is present in the things that we genuinely, authentically create. God wants us to bless the world with our creativity. And we're most joyful when we produce things, not just copy and paste it from someone else, but produce things that flow from that originality, that originality that flows from our own God-given creativity. Are you creating this morning, or are you merely producing? Your joy may depend on that. And then thirdly, technology makes us think we're resting when we're not. Technology makes us think we're resting when we're not. Now this is the difference between leisure and rest in the biblical sense. When we talk about rest, we're talking about the biblical idea of rest, which is really Sabbath. So the biblical, the Bible's own idea of rest is really Sabbath rest. The difference between leisure and the difference between actual rest. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, that he had done, so that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Now in Deuteronomy 5, this concept of biblical rest is appropriated for human beings in the law of Moses concerning the Sabbath. The hard work of creation yields the Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5 and appropriates it appropriates it for human beings. And the Israelites are commanded that six days you shall work, and on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day, you're to rest. And not just you, but everyone in your household, as much as you have control over it. Your wives, your children, your wife, excuse me, your wife, your children. It doesn't say wives, it just misplaced. The women are just like your wife, your children, your sons, your daughters. Even your, your animals are to rest, it says in Deuteronomy 5. Your servants, everyone, the stranger in your midst and the foreigner, everyone around you, you're to cause to rest. Why? Because you were once slaves in Egypt, and you never received rest. The whole concept of rest relates to justice. In Egypt, the children of Israel, when they were slaves... They have no rest. They work seven days a week. Their slave drivers and taskmasters made them work without rest, and it was unjust. See, the reason why rest is so important primarily is because unjust societies are characterized by the confusion between work and rest. The lines between work and Sabbath are blurred. Technology can do that to us sometimes. And one of the reasons it does that is because we're always at leisure. Some of you are saying, what? So even if you're at work for 8 or 10 or 12 hours a day, you've got this little device, and you can log into fun things all day long. 
And it's not wrong. It's not sinful. Um, I have a couple social media accounts. But what happens is it keeps us plugged into a sense of leisure all day long, even when we're supposed to be working. We have, we have more leisure as a culture than anyone in the history of the human race. But we, we have less Sabbath rest than anyone also. And those lines get blurred. I talked a moment ago about how I love hiking and wilderness camping. And one of the, one of the things I love the most is um, being on a hard trail in the mountains, climbing elevation, and then finding a remote wilderness alpine campsite. Now, some people don't like it. They just like to drive right up to the campsite, and that's okay. And some people, if you've got a lot of money, you helicopter to the campsite, or you helicopter to the, the alpine you know, view. But for me, I've always found that the reward of the rest, when I get to that remote campsite, is appreciated because I've spent six hours hiking through the woods, huffing and puffing as I've climbed elevation and had to take breaks and rest, and, and I'm sucking wind. And by the time I find that campsite and I can take that heavy backpack off, it's just like a slice of heaven. See, God wants us to find rest after we've worked, and, and God wants us to experience rest in the biblical sense. And constant, constant access to leisure through our devices, well, like I said, blurs the lines between working and resting. And so even when we're resting, sometimes we don't feel rested. You can be lying around on the couch on a Saturday, but you don't feel like you've really rested. Because the leisure, the, the thing that you think is giving you rest, you've really been doing all week long, and the lines are blurred. Some of us, we feel like we're always working, and we're never really resting, even when we're sitting on the couch or doing nothing. If you always feel tired, it may be because, if you, if you don't feel like you appreciate or experience that biblical sense of Sabbath rest, well, it may be because you're constantly supplied with amusements, and it blurs the lines between work and rest. There's a recent article called The Value of Boredom, and it talks about how before digital technology emerged, some of the greatest ideas in history came about when people were sitting around doing absolutely nothing because it gives your brain the opportunity to wander and to think. And I don't know about you, but I have some of my most creative moments when I'm staring at the back, the trees in the backyard, doing absolutely nothing. In fact, sometimes if I'm working on a sermon, you know, I get kind of like writer's block. I can't get creative. I, I have to put on my, my gym shorts and running shoes and go for a jog. Sometimes just the process of having my mind completely free without amusements or stimulation from this opens my mind up and come up, I come up with some of the greatest ideas I ever have. Listen, um, technology is a good thing. We're not saying it's evil. But sometimes it interrupts God's own design for us as human beings as we're meant to find the rhythms of our life through learning, not just acquiring knowledge or instant access, 
to true creativity and not just productivity, to true Sabbath rest, not just a constant sense of leisure. So what can we do? Well, know that God has created us to be formed through genuine discovery and learning that facilitates mastery. All of us know a lot about a lot of things, but how many of us really know a lot about one specific thing or a few specific things? How many of us have actually learned enough through discovery and research and, and acquiring through hard work that we that we can say we've really mastered something? God wants us to do that. Because when we do, we reflect the glory of God. We bear God's divine image when we learn so much about something that we've mastered it. And we're most passionate about the things that we've invested our time and hard work in. He wants us to know things deeply and intimately, not just surface and superficially. You know, it's quite amazing that in the ancient world, there were far more famous religions than the religion of the Israelites. But only the religion of the Israelites was inscribed to sacred text in such an elaborate and comprehensive way because it was designed for learning. The oral traditions of the pagan religions weren't meant to be taught and learned and studied the way the religion of the Israelites was. And that's one of the reasons why it continues to this day. Because it was it's packaged in such a way that is meant to be studied and discovered and read and memorized and learned through hard work and research. Secondly, what can we do to answer that question? We can find an outlet for your creative impulses. Why? Because God has made you to experience joy when you're creative. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I took an individual probe and had you fill out cards that said, how many of you truly feel joyful during the week? I don't know what kind of response we get. Joy is hard to come by today. We, we can be satisfied. We're materially satisfied. We have everything at our fingertips. You know, fast food, you don't even have to drive through anymore. Even these, these little fast food places will deliver. I mean, you can have everything you want, and we're still we're starving for joy. So we find something that is an outlet for our creative experience because God has made us to bear his image in the same way that he creates. He wants us to create. Doing things, whether it's on your job or at home, to do things in new and original ways. Another way to say that is we're most fulfilled when we're being exactly and uniquely who we are and not comparing ourselves with others. I say that comparison is the thief of joy. God wants us to be original. God wants us to create. And finally, know that leisure doesn't necessarily equate to resting. At least not in the biblical sense. Sabbath may mean actually unplugging and being still. There are all these places in Scripture where people are commanded to be still. 
stop your activity, stop your productivity, stop your busyness, be still and know that I am God. The prophets hear from God when there is nothing else going on. There is silence. And in a very real sense, we experience and know and hear from God when our minds are not taken up with the clutter of all of these other things. All these things that blur our heart and our mind. Listen, God wants us to truly, authentically learn and be creative and find Sabbath rest after we've done those things because he's made us that way. He's created us to do those things. And when we live that way, we glorify.